Episode 189, Sabrina Stalker, serial entrepreneur and finalist from The Apprentice UK. And I got this belief in my head that I'm too young to do this and I didn't take action. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Sabrina, her podcast, her PR firm, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraben.com slash mistake 189. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. My guest today is Sabrina Stalker. She is a tennis player turned entrepreneur. She's an international speaker. She was a finalist on The Apprentice, the UK version, I would point out, as an American that was on BBC One. Um, She's founded multiple businesses. She is a a, a publicist. She's most recently the founder of 2Comma PR, public relations firm. And Sabrina wants to inspire and help others to to become the best versions of themselves and specifically through helping people start and scale their businesses. So her website is 2commapr.io, and I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. So Sabrina, thank you for being here today. How are you? Thank you so much, Mark. It's a pleasure to to join you. I'm really excited to hopefully share some funny and, and fun stories with your listeners as well. Well, yeah, and I'm excited to hear your story. There's a, a lot of things that you've done. Uh, I've got some questions, you know, a lot we can talk about. And, um, you know, before we, we we jump into all of that, I think, you know, we will jump right into um, the, the the question of, of oh, no, I was going to mention my mistake and say, I don't edit these things out. <laughs> I knew as I was starting there, I'm like, well, I know we tried to get right into the question at hand, but I was going to mention um, that Sabrina had me as a guest on uh, her podcast, a YouTube show called Be the Authority. Um, Is that the right description, a podcast? Yeah, it's a YouTube show. We're turning it into a podcast. And um, Mark, I'm sure you'll make the cut. (laughs) (laughs) That first conversation was uh, was a lot of fun. And now we get to turn the tables. This happens sometimes. So uh, remember, put a post-it note here that says, remember, you're hosting this time. (laughs) For Sabrina to, uh, to ask a question. Okay, so I will ask that question now. Um, of all the different things, I mean, you've done a lot of things. Yeah, I, I was going to point out too, awkwardly or as a mistake, you may be my youngest guest. Oh, cool. I don't do an age check on everybody, but <laughs> you have done a lot of things at um, you know a relatively young age. And um, so let me just frame the question: even uh, younger professionals, you know, you've done a lot of things. So, what would you say is your favorite mistake? I love this question. Um, So I'm currently 26, 10 and 27. And I had to think about that. And my mistake actually comes with age. So my first business was when I was 14 years old. And it was a typical business. So it's buying and selling sweets. um, And we actually got it into some supermarkets, which was really cool. And when I was 20 years old, 20, 21 years old, um, I was earning pretty good money at that age. And I was a tennis coach while I was studying my MBA. And I was earning around 40 pounds an hour, which at that time was around $60. Now maybe a little bit closer to 40. 
um, compared to a lot of my friends that were on minimum wage. And I was, you know, I was doing pretty well. I was earning at that time more than what my other families were earning. And I could pretty much buy anything I wanted. And at that age, I was really stable. I was like, this is great. I've got a good income. I've got my MBA going. What else can I do? And I really saw this opportunity in the tennis market. And that was bringing kids-friendly tournaments to different health clubs. And if I looked at a lot of the competitors, they were maybe a little bit older, stuck in their ways, didn't have the best experience. So I thought, why not? So we started running these events. And within around three months, we became you know, fully booked. And it was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. And at that side, I just heard so much feedback of how's that small little company going of yours? Why would you change to, you know, do something else when you're earning good money? Why are you trying to do something different compared to what's already been done before? And a lot of this time, it was people I looked up to. It was my boss, my colleagues, um, some of my friends. They were saying, why are you working so hard? You're too young to do this. And I got this belief in my head that I'm too young to do this. And I didn't take action. And because I didn't take action, I decided to go travel, as most 21 years old do. Um, I traveled for three months. And I came back and I found out one of the mums from the tennis tournaments started the exact same format of what I was doing five miles down the road. And I was fuming. I was like, how has this happened? And it was that fuel and that mistake of listening to other people telling me that I was too young that actually got me fired up in the first place. And a lot of time when we talk about motivation of what drives us as entrepreneurs, my motivation sometimes can be anger, meaning if I'm frustrated at the sake of not expanding fast enough and someone else taking my ideas. In PR, I was frustrated about someone else taking my money and not getting me results. That then drives me to do something differently. And within six months, we were running the largest tenants company in the UK. And within two years, we had over 40 members of staff, 400 events, um, a multiple six-figure profit company at the age of 22. And that was all fueled by fire. So that's really where that my biggest mistake came in and, and why I love it. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot to dig into there. For one, now I'm feeling sensitive. If you were, if people were saying you couldn't or shouldn't do things because of age, I mentioned your age, you know, I think as, as a compliment that you've done a lot of- I, I take it as a compliment. Okay, okay. <laughs> Didn't want that to mistakenly come across as, um, you know, because I, I, I think back to earlier stages of my career, people watching on YouTube and see, okay, I clearly have gray hair now, but there were times in my career, I was the youngest person on the team and I would be self-conscious about that. Now there's, you know, a software company I'm involved in where I am the old guy, the gray hair, but, um, but yeah, you know, thinking back to where you were in the, those early days and, and, you know, how much are you proving to yourself that you can do these things? You talk about the extrinsic motivation. It seemed like you had a high level of drive to begin with to start these businesses, right? I mean, where did this come from even going back to being 14 and starting a business? Yeah, well, I didn't really have any business mentors apart from The Apprentice, which is why I was so determined to go on The Apprentice when I was older. And I was, I was the youngest ever on The Apprentice as well at my age then. And for me, I actually started listening to Brendan Burchard and Tony Robbins from the age of 14. And this is 14-year-old me in bed 
trying to get better grades at my exams from learning how to be more motivated, how to be more productive, how to be more efficient. And I think it was from listening with them at such a young age every single night that I don't really get limiting beliefs anymore. When I found out about, you know, apart from this, this small hiccup, I don't, I didn't get them. I didn't understand where they were. And it was only until others started talking about that as a term, I was like, you mean people feel like they can't achieve something? You mean sometimes there's a voice in the head saying that they can't do it? I don't have role models, but I did really look up to, you know, Tony and Brendan when I was young. Maybe it came from there. And and sometimes that voice is somebody else. Literally, it sounds like in your situation here related to the, the, the tennis business. Again, maybe they weren't saying you can't. Maybe they were trying to protect you from failure. But I mean, that it sounds like that's not the way you're wired, that you're going to go and, and, and try it and tap into that that drive and that additional drive of someone else. Like they, 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 you know, coming in they, that 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 mom wasn't somebody she wasn't trying to push you aside. Or was, she wasn't one of the people saying you shouldn't be doing this. I'm, I'm guessing that was coincidence. Um, she was asking me maybe too many questions that at the time uh, I didn't think you were coming, but I really think, and, and I, I feel like I can say this now, and I feel like it became from jealousy because I was the only female in the team of, you know, one of the biggest health clubs in the UK. I was earning the same amount as money as a lot of these professionals who were in the business 10, 20, 30 years, just because, you know, when I was young, I had a great rapport with kids. Of course, all the mums wanted to give me kids. Um, and because of that, and because I came and I, you know, was out earning them very quickly, you don't like that. You feel intimidated. You feel frustrated. So maybe, you know, it did come from that and being the female and also the youngest by around 10 years within the team. Yeah. So then... How did things play out? I mean, you talk about coming back from your holiday and your travels and then coming back and really ramping up that business. Then how, how long did that keep going? Was it uh, continuing to, to thrive and then COVID happened? Yeah, we were doing incredibly. Um, we had a monopoly on the UK market until COVID happened. And what happened at that time is there were no events because no one could go out. So I was remember just being sat by my radiator crying in my apartment thinking, I just lost my business. And more than the financials, I had 40 members of staff. And being 24 years old with 40 team members who were reliant on an income was really, really hard. Um, but in that moment, I didn't feel too bad. And I actually, to, to fast forward it quite quickly, I used my company contacts from The Apprentice and my media background, and I did a PR campaign. And that PR campaign uh, drove a lot of traffic to a software company I had. We had half a million subscribers in six weeks. So I was able to take my team members and actually move them into the new company. Mm. Um, and it's because of the success of that campaign, which is also how I ended up in PR, from driving results for me first and then helping others do the same. So would you say in this, uh, you, you have a rival that you're driven to try to uh, outdo or defeat here in the PR realm? Or is it more driven back to kind of intrinsic drive, serving customers, things like that? I think there's always an element in both. Without the intrinsic drive of really being able to help somebody, you won't be able to create it sustainably. But the reason why I started the PR company was the frustration fire, right? 
Because when I was on TV, going all to these red carpets, I would pay my PR agent $1,000, $3,000, $5,000 per month. And I wasn't getting any results. And I felt like that wasn't fair because I was putting all my money out. But what was I really getting back in return? And my fuel came from that. And therefore, I thought, well, if I can guarantee where I'm going to get somebody, what steps are needed to get there? How is it possible? What do we need to avoid? And how long is it going to take? Then I can actually really serve people. And that's how I actually got into the another reason, apart from the success of getting into the PR game as well. And so, yeah, being born out of seeing this opportunity that you see through personal experience. This happens a lot with entrepreneurs mm-hmm. of seeing, you know, being frustrated that I've got a problem that nobody has a solution for, or it sounds like in your case, being really frustrated with the solutions that you found anyway. So then there's that drive, do it better, reinvent it. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's so hard now to come up with a new idea. There are so many different people and entrepreneurs and ideas a big part of that is how can you take something that's already proven there's demand for and make it better and then also make it sustainable and then obviously make it visible too. Yeah. So um, I, I want to ask you about getting onto The Apprentice at such a, a, a young age. I mean, are you being an entrepreneur at that point? I want to ask a, a tennis question first, because I played through high school, I would say more recreationally than seriously <laughs> competitively. I was on the high school team. I played doubles because I wasn't good enough to play singles. But, you know, you think of, I want to ask you about mistakes when it comes to, let's say, playing tennis or coaching somebody else. Thinking through, let's say, a mistake in strategy versus mistakes in execution. Like, how, how do you think through those mistakes, like during a match, recognizing, okay, I might have the wrong strategy. It might make a, might be a mistake you know, adjusting in match or between sets. How how did you think through some of that? Mm, Especially when you get onto a court and it's probably similar to other individual sports. You're the only person that you're reliant upon. You can't be reliant on your coach. That was there before. You can't be reliant on the crowd, the referee, the opponent, the weather, all these external uh, factors. It's all about being internal. And part of that is also being very honest with yourself. Um, Now, a lot of the preparation to win a match obviously comes before, but playing a game, playing a set, and you've got to continuously adapt and try different strategies. Just like in business, not one strategy is going to work the same for every single match because of the opponent or the surface, whatever those conditions are. Um, Potentially, you're not feeling so good because you've got an injury. So what if, for example, your bank of five, 10 really good strategies that you've practiced and then trying them all out and figuring out, okay, which Mm. ones are going to be the best and kind of like A-B testing when it comes to business, it's also testing different strategies and then bringing them down and then also mixing them up. So the opponent can't tell what your strategy is Mm -hmm. every point as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the, the connection to entrepreneurship there, I think is really interesting. It's the difference between knowing and testing. Mm-hmm. Right? I know this new way of doing PR is going to be a success. Well, you don't really know until you go and test and either validate or, hey, I could be wrong, invalidate that strategy, whether it's Serena Williams on the other side of the net or um, a business challenge that you're facing. No, exactly. And you know, you will work for one business 
isn't going to necessarily work for yours. So as a business owner, and I think this is also where I got a lot of my kind of skills as being an entrepreneur, is you have many different strategies. For example, there's so many different marketing strategies. Try them out. Which ones are going to be most effective for your current situations? And then having such a small ego to say, this didn't work. What else can I do? It's not that you failed. It's about you've eliminated one of those strategies in your Mm -hmm. box, in your Mm -hmm. toolbox. You've learned and you move forward. That strategy wasn't a quote unquote mistake. But, you know, we tried something, you learn, you adjust. That's that's part of what we talk about a lot here on the podcast. So it's good to hear um, lessons from, from the <laughs> tennis court there. But one, one other tennis question I was going to ask, like there's this phrase, unforced errors. Like, and that, and that seems really judgmental. Like, again, like thinking of, you know, somebody playing against Serena Williams at the top of her game. Like anytime uh, a player hits a shot wide or into the net, is that really fair? Who, who makes a judgment call of quote unquote unforced? <laughs> I really don't like the term, but the term unforced errors is basically something that you should have got right. So for example, the serve in tennis is the only point, the only uh, swing that you have complete control over. So if you, for example, double faulting, that's completely on you. Um, now, do I like it? Not really so much because there are so many external things, but you know, if you look at tennis, you look at the tennis history, that's unfortunately the uh, the phrase they came up with. Yeah, and that's interesting. Somebody makes this judgment. You should have been able to do that. That's that's kind of a, a guess. Like you should have returned that cross court forehand from Serena and like, hey, you try doing that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> and I think it comes to leadership as well and, and how we are as a leader of our company, because you know, we can't blame and have external blame to our team members. If something went wrong, human error is always going to go wrong in your business. And that's given you the ability to learn and to grow from it. Whereas actually, if you're saying you got that wrong, do it better, they're going to lose that confidence. And that's also potentially not the best leadership style too. So you're not using, you're not throwing that phrase around in business. Hey, unforced <laughs> error. That press, re- that press release was... Not clear, unforced error. You know that, that, that wouldn't be helpful. <laughs> no, exactly. So um, the the Apprentice UK. Um, it, I don't want to talk about the US version <laughs> of the show, but I'm, I'm curious. Like, what what was the appeal to you? Like, you know, uh, Alan Sugar, Lord Sugar, as the host and the business guru who's making these firing decisions like what 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 was appealing about him what are the things to learn from him specifically Mm. um so Lord he's also into tennis actually he has a a place in Boca and growing up I always I watched every I was obsessed I watched every single episode from the age of nine till the age of applying and I knew for a fact I knew I was going to get onto the show um because of the amount of prep work that I did. And Lord Sugar, I think it's it's not so much about looking up to him. And I think he is an incredible business person. But for me, it was the challenge, the challenge of being thrown into a different situation and being able to adapt and to be able to change. And I don't I haven't watched the, the Trump version too much, but Lord Sugar, even though he comes across as quite an interesting character, on the show, he's really, really, really lovely and someone that I look up to. Yeah. So when you got 
fired. Um, what I mean, what 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 led to that? Was it a matter of something you might describe as a mistake, or just another team outperforming you? This is actually something else I could call one of my favorite mistakes. Um, I got fired because my business already was kind of a market cap. I couldn't expand anymore because I was already the biggest. So looking back then, I think there's there's two different things I would have done differently. However, there's not. So there's also the other side of things. Firstly, I became the market leader. When you become the market leader and you gain the market share, that also means there's a market cap. So the market that I chose to go into wasn't big enough for me to achieve seven and eight figure goals. I had a multiple six figure business, but it was never going to be a multiple seven. So something I learned there is really analyzing the market you're going in to actually make sure the market fits where your potential goal is. Now, a second part of that, which is potentially how I could have won The Apprentice, um, and I'm glad I didn't on that note, but I could have thought, how else can I scale it out? I had a really big email list. I had tens of thousands of tennis players who were regularly competing to tennis. So maybe I could have created an e-commerce tennis platform. Maybe I could create something around what I was already doing. Um, and that I've taken into my new companies, making sure that, you know, there isn't a market cap. So when you work so hard, there isn't that ceiling. And, and how can you think of different pathways and not being scared to do different pathways too? Yeah. Well, and and that that's that makes me think of, there, there was a diagram I saw the other day that was, you know, kind of talking about career decisions or entrepreneurship decisions. Um I'm 48 years old going on 49. So I'm in this part of the diagram where I, a lot of my life's path has already been what it is, but I still have many decision points about where I take the rest of that career. You at age 20, almost 27, have, have many more decision points ahead of you. Um, you know, you, there, there, are, there are different things you could be doing. So back to the question, or I, this is the question I wanted to ask. You know, starting a PR firm, there, there was that immediate um, experience that you went through, dissatisfaction with the PR firm. How do you decide of like different companies you could start that, okay, there's the one that you're going to, to dive into? Was, was that a clear decision or did you think about different possibilities? Mm, for the PR company, I guess it was a mixture of both. One, I have, because I had success in actually, I think there's a big... Uh, to take a step back, you should never start a business in something you haven't got experience in because there are so many different lessons that you need to learn, the failures that you need to fail at in order to be very good at what you need to do. So before that, the experience I gained was, you know, being end up doing my own PR and having half million subscribers in six weeks purely from a PR campaign. So I'd proven to myself that I could get real results that really helped a business. And then also being on the fame side of it, the red carpet events, the film premieres, TV, radio, and all the media training. So a big part of that is what have you got genuine experience that you can really help mm -hmm. where there is a gap in the market that you can then go into. And it's not so much always about following your passion. Yes, my first business was a passion business, but for a lot of it, I didn't want to play tennis because I was full up to business with tennis. So sometimes it's about looking at what your real skill sets are and starting. And if you haven't got them, go and get them first. Mm -hmm. Well, and all right, 
I think at a younger age, you have more room to recover from a quote unquote mistake career wise, you know, so that's, that's an advantage. And, and, and maybe that allows um, a little bit more risk taking. I mean, it, it might just be an old guy now romanticizing, um, you know, 100%, you know, I haven't, I've got fortunately a very entrepreneurial partner. Um, I haven't got kids. I sold everything and decided to travel the world. So apart from my company overheads, which I'm in control with, I haven't really got too many headaches. I've been able to eliminate them. So my risk tolerance is high because I also know that I could lose everything overnight and I'd be able to be successful because I have the experience, the mindset, the skills, the connections. So I think, you know, I can take bigger risks while I can. And when I have kids, that is going to be a different story. But I'm also OK with having less risk when I'm there as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you seem keenly aware of these lessons of mistakes are going to happen. People make mistakes. Let's let's learn from it. Let's not blame people. I mean, that's that's great. Did, did you have any of that, like going back to being 14 years old and starting the candy business? Did you have a sense of I'm making mistakes, but it's okay because the business is new. I can learn. I can adjust. Was was that part of that early experience as you can re- remember it? Um, I've always made mistakes. And there's times that I have been in denial. And um, the reason why I think I have such a good perspective is because denial didn't get me anywhere. Telling everyone everything was okay and with the team and with the company didn't get me anywhere. So I definitely was never you know, as perspective as I, I am now. And in 10 years time, it will probably be even more so. But it had to be, you know, going through me probably being a bad leader, me probably being not the best in my admin, me probably, you know, not quitting when I should have quit. That has allowed me to learn because of the consequences and then being able to actually work on them myself so that I can be a better leader. I can know when to quit and when to continue. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Sabrina, we're, we're joined again, Sabrina Stalker, um, two comma PR. Mistakes, you know, I'm curious, you know, can mistakes related to social media or, or, or PR, um, you know, there's, there's debate when it comes to, let's say, social media, um, you know, authenticity, being real, this, this kind of veneer or persona. I mean, like, what, what have you learned or are there mistakes that people make? if they're trying to gain a following, let's say in social media? Mm. Um, if there wasn't such a need for social media now, I probably wouldn't be on it. Um, because I think it is a big part of our life now that we didn't sign up for, it just happened. And now not being on there, there's consequences for that as well. Um, some of the biggest mistakes I found is trying to do so much and then stop because they're not getting results Mm. trying to push themselves out there but they're pushing themselves out there as a character or somebody that they want to be seen as rather than who they are a big one I think out there that's starting to trend out of there is the fake success which is the Lamborghinis Mm -hmm. the, the private jets when they're filming in a private jet and it hasn't even taken off when you've got girls standing in front of designer stores that they just decided to stand in front of, um, there's a lot of fakeness out there. And all you're doing is seeking approval from other people on a social level. Because I could not post anything, but I'm very, very good at what I do. So I know people will come to me. I don't need to show off a lavish lifestyle to show that I'm successful. And I think, especially in the younger generation, I you know, in the 
early 20s, early 30s, because social media is used for dating, maybe that's why. Maybe there's the element of trying to fit in. But really, if we come back grounded, then we don't need to do all of these things. And it takes a lot of social pressure as well. Yeah. Um, there, there's an expression that you that get, gets used a lot in Silicon Valley. This idea of fake it till you make it. Um, it's interesting you, you bring up the idea of somebody faking this appearance of wealth. Um, faking it doesn't mean you're going to make it. I mean, I think there's this assumption in entrepreneurship. Well, we're going to fake it to get us to a point where we are actually making it. Um, if, if you have somebody coming to you, do you have to sometimes counsel them about not faking it in terms of not overstating um, business success? Like, you know, things that are about the appearance of the business, if you will, not the, the appearance of the person. I've, I've turned away probably hundreds of business owners because I'm like, you've got to get the results before you put yourself out there and fake it to you make it doesn't work anymore. People can see through it. It's genuine success and the lessons that you learn, the way that you talk, the way that you frame things that will show that you're on the same level as somebody else. And you can tell those very quickly. And especially when it comes to the media, there's a big backfire if you put out false information and it will really damage your brand. So a lot of the time I know other companies who say, yes, I'm going to put you in the media because they want to take the revenue. But what are you serving? You're serving your bank. You're not serving the client. So rather than investing into an image, invest into actually being better at business first. Wow. Uh, I I imagine there's a lot of mistakes. Um, Clients have uh, mistaken expectations or they they make the mistake of thinking of like, hey, you know, Sabrina, make, make me go viral. Like you just flip a switch. I mean, you've had some experience with some things that that go viral, but do, do people sometimes think it's it's easier than it really than it really is? The interesting part is when you want to become known, but go viral, become famous, you've got to have a freaking amazing product or service. Like our service that went viral on the software was getting food onto people's tables during lockdown. So when you're really thinking about going viral, getting fame, using the power of press, you've got to have a really, really good product or service. Then you've got to have the right timing, meaning it's relevant in the media. And then you've got to have the credibility and results to back it up as well. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't want to be in a situation of sort of, you know, uh, making a pitch that the client couldn't back up. Mm-hmm. You have to make yeah. sure that you're authentically you know, because then that I guess that that would fe- that would go back to your reputation and two comma PR's reputation. If you told some media outlet, you know, here here's somebody. Let's say they've created a fake story in a way, and uh, you don't want to be passing that along and have that be uncovered. Because then who who's going to take another um, you know guest or interview subject from you, right? Yeah, it's really important actually for business owners. Like putting out false information um, goes back to the client. We're, we're, we have all the information that the client has given us. They say as a disclaimer, this information is true. So then if they're putting financial information out, there's a chance that the publication will be like, can we see the financial records before we put it to publish? Um, you know, and, and having that transparency, you've got to do your due diligence as a PR agency as well. So it's really about having um, your client being honest, but also you doing your research. 
And, and hopefully that's a rediscovery of, I mean, that sounds like a very old fashioned, solid value of, you know, integrity. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Thank you to the, the younger generations are discovering integrity and you can teach a thing to um, some of the entrepreneurs who um, haven't demonstrated that, that integrity. I mean, um, many, many examples, um, you know, think Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. You know, she thought she could fake it till she made it. And that was a great story. But, you know, uh, I'm sure she had great PR people. She got a lot of coverage, but that that couldn't that couldn't paper over the reality that was that was there. Not to pick on her, but that's one one example that comes to mind. No, and it's 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 really important. Integrity is so important. And imagine what your team members will think of you if you're putting false members out there. They know the numbers, they know the mm-hmm. sales coming in. So it's also from that leadership perspective as well. Yeah. Well, one other question I wanted to ask you, as a, a podcast host, I get pitched a lot. Um, There's one thing that um, publicists or PR firms will do. They'll say, well, you know, so-and-so has got a new book coming out and, um, you know, they, they would be a great guest. Don't you want them to be on your show? And sometimes it, it gets to be a bit too much where I can't even reply, I'm sorry, but no, thank you or what, you know, whatever. So then there's the, and I think they're automated, like the, the incessant automated follow-up emails that, that, that to me is the receiver. I think it's a bit of a mistake of like the more someone irritates me with that third or that fourth email, I may really unsubscribe or block sender, you know, they, 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 they could be pushing too hard in a counterproductive way. Um, but before asking the generalized question, because of your last name, and we talked before the show, you know, Sabrina Stalker or Stalker, or you know, depending on the accent, right? It might sound like Stalker, S-T-A-L-K-E-R. Here, here's here's a, a PR follow-up email that that I got. And I want to get your honest reaction to the Sabrina. So it said, I hope I'm this was a follow-up email. So I could tell it was RE and there was the, the history down there. It said, quote, I hope I'm not coming across as a stalker but I just wanted to know if you saw my last email. I thought, oh, that seemed like kind of a mistake. Like that, that, that's, that's, that's not real. I don't know that, that, that language. I mean, that, 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 that could really bother somebody. It, it could, I think, you know, again, the human error, sometimes maybe it was a VA sending it out and they have a different understanding of the name. Maybe it was an inexperienced team member. So I get a whole load of these because I'm a, I'm a uh, contributor entrepreneur for people pitching to come in and there are follow-ups and it sounds like a template that they've probably taken from a YouTube video of like a fun new way to say it. So I've received so many good pitches and so many bad pitches and follow-up emails, but I really take them with a pinch of salt now because I've gone through so many and I'm like, it's probably not really the person. It's probably a mistake or a VA or not really understanding the wording. So for me, because I've received so many bad and good follow-up mm-hmm. emails, mm-hmm. I, I bring it down to human error. Well, that's that's very gracious of you. Um, that, that's a good reminder for me to step back and um, <laughs> you know, show a little grace. But um, you know, I, I, I tried to do it in a polite way. I mean, I, I sent a reply saying, well, it, it's not that it's bothered me personally, but I don't know, using that word, like really, that could really bother somebody else. I, I tried to give a, a little bit of a gentle feedback loop, 
Um, never got a reply back. And then a couple of months later, it was the same follow-up with the same language. And I'm like, this, this seems very, very automated. I'm not going to try uh, replying to a piece of software that's not going to read my reply. But I think it was, you know, to me, at least from my judgment, sorry for being judgmental on it, <laughs> I think it's an unforced error on their part to use a word that could be upsetting. And I think to- that, there we go. Now we have an unforced error that we should tell the team. <laughs> but um but, you know, I think, you know, as, as you were talking about, we always talk about here on the podcast, there's got to be some feedback loops where if you've made a mistake, discover that so you can adjust or he could stop sending uh, his adjustment could be stop using that word or stop sending it to me. Or he could say, Mark has no sense of humor. So forget it. I mean, there's different ways of viewing this. Yeah. And I think actually, you know, within our team and also externally, we should point it out. Like pointing it out and seeing if they change anything. Maybe it's automated. Maybe they could go in and change the automation. Whatever that is, feedback between business owners is really important. And sometimes we're too scared to do it because we don't want to offend somebody. But maybe we see the need to do it. Yeah. So I'm I'm being negative there, and let, let's let's turn <laughs> it back to a positive. Um, I get good pitches too. Um, what 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 to you is an example of a good pitch when you receive one? You're like, oh, that that hits the mark. Um, so in general, for me, it's about when it's going to actually help the other person. So say that I wanted to get one of my clients onto a podcast. It's not about their book coming out. It's not about their new podcast launching. It's about have I, um, or my team do, have they actually researched the show? Meaning that it's a good match. Has my client got the same or nearish level of credibility as a podcaster? Cause it's a two way thing. And, um, am I actually going to, is it going to add value to the podcaster itself? And flipping the script and saying, well, if I was in the podcaster's shoes, what would I care about? I'd want to care about this person's audience and if they're going to share on social media with me. I want to care about the reliability because I want to make sure that my calendar is you know, looked after as well. Um, I want to care that they're going to add value to my audience so that I really enjoy speaking to them as well. Um, and just thinking about the other person rather than being selfish and thinking about you. And most companies don't do it because it's harder, because it takes more work, because it's not as easy, because a VA is automating it. Um, but really, if you want to get on good shows, you've got to put in some effort as well. Mm-hmm. So great thoughts from entrepreneurship around customer focus, customer empathy, you know, I, 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 to me, the best pitches are one where I can tell it, it's not just a mass email with my name and the name of my podcast inserted, where somebody would say, um, you know, we've checked out your podcast. And then you can tell when that's authentic or not, I think also. But when they say, well, you know, we love the theme of your podcast and here's a guest who has learned a lot from mistakes and would love to share their story and they have a book to promote. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> That's yeah. that's a really good pitch that will get my attention and 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 builds a connection instead of like oh here's someone else with another book to pitch. Mm-hmm. No, and you can even take it to the next level. And something we do, for example, is we'll actually get the client to make a, a video. So we send them a video of them actually speaking. So you can see what they're like on camera. Mm -hmm. You can see if they have the right tonality, the way they're presenting themselves. You can see if. There's somebody who'd be a good fit from their show, not from the email of the PR agency, but actually of the person showing them straight away. Yeah, that that's very cool. That that's that's a really good tip. So 
Um, it's been really fun here today, Sabrina Stalker, um, two comma PR, um, two comma PR dot IO. Um, you, do you, where, where are clients that you work with normally based or are there certain types of um, businesses that, that you work with? What's the profile of who's a good fit with you and your firm? For sure. Well, for me, and you can probably tell from this podcast, somebody who's really been able to have already done it, have already proven it and been successful in their particular field. Um, they want to accelerate how quickly they're being picked up by big media placements. Um, and also mainly most of our clients are in the US as well, just because mm-hmm. we look after a lot of US publications and, and have relationships there. Okay. Well, I hope people will come check out your website again, two comma PR. .io. Check out Be the Authority, um, YouTube show and uh, a podcast. And, and Sabrina, thank you again. You know, first off, reaching out to me to invite uh, invite me to be uh, on your show. I, I, I hope you know, the word authority, I hope I could live up to that <laughs> in some way. And um, I really appreciate um, the opportunity to have you um, here talking about your favorite mistake. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. It was really, really fun today. Well, thanks again to Sabrina Stalker for being a wonderful guest today. To learn more about her and everything she's doing, look for links in the show notes or go online markgraben.com slash mistake 189. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.